actually I'm going to have you stand again for the reading of God's Word. Find James chapter 2 this morning in your copy of the Scripture. James chapter 2. And uh, you pray for me today, if you would please. I want to address a very sensitive subject. Uh, a lot of what is going on in our nation right now. And uh, folks, I believe if we could uh, simply understand what James is admonishing us to do in this text right here, it would deal with situations on all sides of the equations. You know, it would be amazing what would happen if people would simply live and act biblically. Amen? I mean, that would, that would answer things right then and there. And so, uh, find James chapter 2, and this morning I want to talk about the sin of prejudice and short-sightedness of measuring by outward appearances. James says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you. You may be seated. Dr. Chuck Swindoll writes these following words. He says, most of my Christian life I have wrestled against a form of Christianity that is obsessed with externals. Almost as if they had completely forgotten, according to 1 Samuel 16, that the scripture says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Swindoll goes on to say, too many make instant judgments based on someone's appearance. Her hair is too short. What's up with those tattoos? Why did she wear that to church? Oh, she's a homeschooler. Oh, she's a public schooler. His house is too big and expensive. She didn't even graduate from high school. So when Dahl says our list goes on and on and on, we make judgments oftentimes without even knowing anything about the person. Just think about our English word prejudice, he says. Prejudge. Based on the Latin, it means just what it sounds like, to judge ahead of time. He says this entire passage in James 2 is designed to tell us to put a stop to all such behavior, to put a stop to all such prejudging. He concludes by saying prejudging can go both ways, positive and negative. We can instantly be drawn to a new member at church because of their attractiveness, their dress, their perceived wealth. Likewise, we can draw back and be hesitant towards someone else based on the same in the other direction. Now folks, obviously the last two to three weeks in American life have been very difficult as we see in the news every day. I want you to think about the foolishness, the short-sightedness of saying all police officers are evil. He's a cop. He's going to hurt me. How absurd. 99.9% of our officers are noble men and women trying to serve their communities and they lay down their lives for us daily. We have many of them here in our own congregation and we honor them. Also think about the ignorance of saying, he's black. You better watch him. Where's he going? What's he going to do? He must be up to no good. Equally ignorant statements. Both fall under what James is talking about here. Receiving someone or rejecting someone based on some type of favoritism that we've assigned. The Greek word here is not prejudice, but rather it's a word that means literally receiving the face, which has the same meaning as prejudice. Receiving the person based on outward appearances alone. Now instead of addressing any one specific issue that we've seen in society lately, I want to cover the bigger problem. 
It seems to me that as a society, whether it's racism, whether it's preferential treatment, whether it's general disregard or disrespect for life, we seem to have a problem understanding what should be so basic and fundamental to community living, and yet we find ourselves in the same place over and over again. It's like we are ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. My hope, maybe overly optimistic, is also that as a general rule, most people do understand these things. And it's the bad actors on both sides that keep getting us where we are today and over and over again. Well, folks, I want us to look at this passage this morning that says incredible things to us about the dignity and value and worth of every single human being. And it is a passage that forbids prejudice, whether in the positive way or the negative way. And again, while it doesn't hit every single scenario, it does help us to understand the fundamental mindset. We're going to look today at the sin of prejudice and the short-sightedness of making judgments based on outward appearances. You know, unlike secular man, I think the answers that society is actually craving for are found in the Scripture. If we could be biblical in our attitudes and actions, we wouldn't even find ourselves where we are today. James is forbidding favoritism in the body of Christ based on someone's appearance or socioeconomic standing in the community. Anytime we make those type of judgments, we are not expressing the heartbeat of God. Now I want to point out what James does in his little epistle here. It wasn't by accident that I had the intern read the passage that she read a moment ago because if anything, the key passage that governs the entire book of James would be that passage at the end of chapter 1 that begins in verse 27 and goes down begins in verse 21 and goes down through verse 27. That passage frames the whole book. And in the rest of the book of James, James is going to give scenarios or illustrations that one way or another flesh out what he's just said at the end of chapter 1. And so when we come to chapter 2, this is the first scenario that illustrates what he's just said. I want you to think about the power of what he does here. Rather than just giving us commands or precepts, what does James do? He tells us stories. Now folks, I want you to remember something. This is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And nobody could tell a story like Jesus. After all, he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's uh, omniscient God. 
He told parables that would illustrate nobody can tell a story like Jesus. But here's James, his half-brother. He also loves stories. It kind of makes me wonder a little bit about growing up in Mary and Joseph's home. Did Mary sit her children at her feet when they were young and tell them stories? Maybe so. And so let's turn to see this first story that James talks about and he's going to give us the principle and then he's going to give us a story to illustrate in a powerful way what he's talking about. The first thing I want you to write down with me this morning is that Christians are to treat all people with respect. Now, folks, we're going to spend about 90% of the message just on this one point here, okay? So in 15 minutes, when I haven't moved off of this one point, I don't want you to be nervous. <laughs> Christians are to treat all people with respect. Now, that doesn't mean that we like everyone's ways equally. Let's not confuse those two things, person and action. What James is addressing here is the intrinsic dignity and worth of a person. The rich man is not well liked because he was noble in action. The poor man was not despised because he was a bad actor in society. James is talking about the wrongfulness of making judgments uh, of someone's value as a person simply because of how they might look or what their bank account might be. What he's talking about is that as far as personhood is concerned, everyone is created in the image of God and is equal in that sense. It goes back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing how many, so many things in the Bible go back to the beginning of the Bible? I mean, for instance, just look back with me, if you would, please, at Genesis chapter 1 and beginning there in verse 26. The scripture says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. The value, the dignity, the worth of a human being goes back to that passage right there at the beginning of the Bible. Regardless of someone's job, regardless of somebody's standing in life, regardless of their neighborhood, their bank account, the color of their skin, they are somebody who is made in the image of God, the imago dei. And so discrimination of any sort is not only foolish, but it's disobedient. It's foolish because nobody has anything to do with their nationality, their skin color, or anything like that. You were born with that. You didn't determine what family you were born into. And so on the most basic level of intelligence, racism is stupid. 
And it's also disobedient because it questions the wisdom of God and the providence of God. God, why didn't you make that person like me? It's arrogant. It questions the providence and purposes of God. And so that's the principle. Well, how does James illustrate it? We see here in verses 2 to 4 the illustration he gives. He, he, he gives a scenario. Again, uh-oh. He gives a scenario to explain. You've got to love the way, as I said a moment ago, that James gives these illustrations because they are illustrations that are so vivid. When he gives an illustration, you you can picture the very thing happening. And that's the beauty of a good illustration. It helps us to see what the speaker is talking about. And what James does here is he describes a gathering for worship. And he uses the word for gathering synagogue now that's one of the reasons the book of James is believed to be very early maybe even the first New Testament book written we know that early on Christians would still go to the synagogues to worship and so when James describes a public gathering of Christians he uses that same term from Jewish life synagogue so here it is you're gathered for worship Let's say you have a church of three or four hundred people. And all of a sudden, the door to the church opens. Let's put it in today, 2020. And in walks Joe Gibbs and his family. It's a packed house, pews full. We're not in this lockdown. Not many places to sit. He walks in. How do the ushers treat him? As he makes his way down the aisle, people begin to whisper. And then in in that time in church that Connie calls the mingle, mingle time. uh, How's everybody, how are they going to treat him? Are they going to go over to him and make over him? Joe, boy, we wish you still were the coach of the Washington Redskins. That'd be what Kevin Knight would say, probably. Boy, you got some good race teams. How would we respond to Joe Gibbs? And then on that same Sunday, believe it or not, the door opens again. And in walks a guy that you recognize on the corner at Walmart who holds up one of those placards, and he, he smells bad. He's ragged, he's dirty. And he makes his way down the aisle. How do we respond to him? Both men in worship on the same day. They've come in as guests into our assembly. And you see what James is saying here? How we treat those two men, if if we make distinctions among them, the value of their personhood, if we make any kind of distinctions, we have said volumes about our Christian faith or our lack thereof. 
Now, whether or not that scenario would actually happen or not, let me give you a scenario that has happened in our church. And, well, not in our church, but somebody in our church. And by the way, I did get permission to share this. It happened to Rod and Kathy Teat, both of whom are pharmacists. And of course, Rod is a doctor of pharmacy. 20 years ago, they moved to town. They moved off of Weddington Road in Carriage Downs, and it was Sunday. And so they were trying to find a local Southern Baptist church to go to. And so they went down Weddington, and they jumped out onto 29 near S&D Coffee, and they drove up to town looking for a Baptist church. They didn't know where to go. They, they looked online. They found a church to go to. And after the service that day, an usher or a greeter met him out in the church parking lot and said, welcome. We're glad you're here today. What do you do for a living? And Rod said, I'm a pharmacist. The man said, that's impressive, good. And he looked at Kathy and said, what do you do for a living? She said, I'm a pharmacist. He said, you're both pharmacists? And they said, yes. He smiled and shook their hand uh, intensely and says, Welcome! We're glad you're here. You're our type of people here. Please come back. They got in the car, looked at one another. Some people of lesser character might be flattered by what just happened. After all, they were their kind of people. Hmm. I feel good about myself. I'm their kind of people. But they looked at one another and Rod said, we won't be back. What if we were not their kind of people? That's what James is talking about here, folks. James says when you make distinctions like that, you, you don't have the right to do something like that. You've made evil distinctions in your heart. Even Jesus' enemies in approaching him there in Matthew 22 verse 16 were struck by the fact that Jesus was not swayed or moved in any way by somebody's appearances. In fact, the NIV of that text says, Lord, you pay no attention to who they are. Now understand, folks, James is not forbidding that we, would res uh, that, that, that we would respect and recognize what God has allowed somebody to accomplish in their life. You know, we could congratulate somebody on, on what they've accomplished in life. Maybe they've built a very fine business in the community. He's not forbidding that. But what James is saying is when you, you and I start making value judgments about personhood, about somebody's value and dignity and worth as a human being based on how they look or what they do or how much they earn or what their position might, might be, we become judges with evil motives, he says here in verse 4. Because the fact of the matter is, the poor man is created in the image of God just as much as the rich man. And so he says, you've judged with evil motives. You've judged based on the outside. 
And folks, the fact of the matter is we don't know somebody's heart. The person you've just received might have an evil, unbelieving heart. The person you reject might have a deeply godly heart. In fact, James is going to point out the very people they were favoring were not reciprocating the kindness. They were favoring the rich, and it was the rich who were calling, causing the early church so many headaches. James says in verse 1, Don't cling to favoritism and, and on the one hand and the for, faith of our Lord Jesus on the other. Those two positions would be incompatible. And then he goes on again to give the explanation in verses 5 to 7. God views differently. Oftentimes it's the poor that love God. They don't have anything else to love. They don't have anybody else to lean on. Oftentimes they are the very ones who have great faith in God. A rich man can love all of his toys, all of his wealth, his toys and his hobbies, and his wealth can take him away from God. He doesn't have time for God. Besides, he might even think he doesn't need God. That's oftentimes the attitude of the wealthy. Now that's not always the case. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that all of the poor are godly and all of the rich are evil. Some of the godliest people in the world are rich and they've done great things for the cause of Christ. And we even meet them in the Bible. Men like Abraham, Job, Joseph who became the prime minister of Egypt, Joseph of Arimathea and perhaps Lydia of Philippi. Great godly people in the scripture who had large assets. Now granted it's more difficult for rich people to love God. Jesus said so. It can be as hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The reason being, the rich too often put their trust in riches. But again, there's nothing inherently wrong in and of itself with wealth. Just use your wealth for godly purposes. But let me meddle a little bit. If every single time the Panthers come to town, your money allows you and your family to be at the stadium versus at God's house, maybe you need to see that your money is taking you away from God. You say, Pastor, does that mean I can't go to a football game? I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, if that's a pattern with you, if you're choosing boats, vacations, travel, football, racing, golf, whatever, over God's house as a pattern, you might need to see this morning that your money is a hindrance to your relationship with God and your riches are taking you in the wrong direction. 
If your golf clubs are keeping you away from God, sell your golf clubs. If your fishing boat is keeping you away from God, sell your fishing boat. If your vacation home at the mountains or the beach is keeping you away from God, sell the house. As Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his very soul? What about the poor? We know God has special pity on the poor. We're told so in the book of Proverbs. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker. Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. But again, folks, poverty does not guarantee somebody's spirituality. Some of the most ungodly people that you might meet might happen to be poor. Again, we can't make those generalizations. That somebody's rich, therefore they despise God. Somebody's poor, therefore they love God. That's not always the case. James isn't laying down a universal law like that. He's just pointing out how it tended to be in the first century world. In the first century world, in the early church, the rich were so oftentimes abusing the poor. In fact, in chapter 5, he's going to talk about these rich landowners who were hiring the poor, getting at the end of the day and refusing to pay them. And if the poor tried to complain or do anything, the rich would take them to court and even sometimes have them killed. I had a New Testament professor who said, do not interpret James 5 as hyperbole. He said, because literally in the first century church, some of the rich were literally having the poor killed if the poor complained about the rich not paying them that was James world and James is saying to his congregation here those are the very people if they come into your church you're patting them on the back and you're congratulating them and you're giving them the best seats in the house and then they're turning around and doing you like that It doesn't even make sense, James is saying. You're not even being rational. And on top of that, you're cursing and blaspheming the very name of God, the God of the poor who rely upon Him for their daily necessities. Well, secondly this morning, I want you to see, when Christians show favoritism, they sin. Look at verses 8 to 11 again. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers for whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. How do you want to be treated? You are to love your neighbor as yourself. That was the second of the greatest commandments. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked on one occasion, what's what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, body, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hinge on those two commandments right there. 
And so James is saying here, if you show favoritism or if you're prejudiced in your heart towards somebody, you've already become a transgressor of the law. And James calls it the royal law because it's given by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's the law laid down by the sovereign God of the universe. And so it's not just man's law that you've sinned against, it's God's law that you've sinned against. And then he reminds us in verses 10 and 11 of the seriousness of sin. You know, man in his attempt to make himself look good says what? Yeah, I might have broken the law of God, but I only broke it in one place. And what does James say? You break it in one place and you're guilty of sinning against all of it. Third, Christians need to live in light of judgment day. Verse 13, he says, Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful, mercy triumphs over judgment. One of these days, James is reminding his listeners that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that day, God's standard in his law will be our judge. The very law we break today will be the very law we answer to one day. You see, folks, God's law, God's word is not going to be pushed aside. We might think we get away with breaking it, and we don't. And James says, if you've judged without mercy, you will be shown no mercy. It goes back to this whole discussion on partiality. Now, it's true in general, yes, you show no mercy, and you'll not be shown mercy. That's true in many applications. But again, the application here, what he's just been discussing about prejudice. When you show prejudice, you've not been compassionate towards somebody. You've not been merciful. You've judged without mercy. And so James says it's far better to fall on the side of mercy and compassion. Because one day when you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that's the standard he will apply to us, whatever standard we've applied. I want to close with a personal illustration. And it's an illustration about a family member and... As far as I know, I'm not embellishing the story. I'm telling the story as it's been told to me. That's all I'm doing. Hubert Blanton was my mom's cousin. His wife Lola, she's passed away, I think Hubert is too. He owned the Gulf Station at the corner of South Boulevard and Arrowwood. And then after Gulf went through changes, he, he owned the BP Station down at Carowinds Boulevard. Carowinds Boulevard in 77. Convenience store, gas station. 
Hubert was a wealthy man. On, on top of the gas stations, lots of rental properties. And he loved to spoil his wife, Lola. According to my mom and dad, they would be out eating somewhere. They loved to go to places like Las Vegas or Hawaii, wherever. And Lola, back in the 70s and all, whatever the latest, greatest Cadillac was, that's what she wanted. They'd be out at a restaurant eating. And Lola would say, Hubert, let's go to Hawaii. And according to my mom and dad, they'd leave the restaurant, go drive to the airport. He'd call his workers, say, y'all handle everything for a week or two. They'd buy tickets, fly to Hawaii. When they got there, they would buy everything they needed. They wouldn't even go back home. They'd just take off somewhere in the world, and when they landed, they'd buy what they needed. Well, on this one occasion, they didn't fly, they drove. And her Cadillac broke down. And for whatever reason, the only rental car they could get, I don't know why, I don't know, I don't know the details here, it was an old Chrysler New Yorker that they said was a bomb and smoked and rattled. And in fact, both of them had to crawl in and out on the same side of the car. And they pulled up at the Cadillac dealership, whatever town they were in, to check on the status of her Cadillac. And they walked in the showroom and she started looking at the other Cadillacs. She said, Hubert, I don't want mine back. I want this one. Get me this one. And all the salesmen who saw them drive up in what they drove up in and the way they were dressed in their vacation clothes, no salesman would give them the time of day. And finally, a new, young, hungry salesman came out to help them and sold them the latest, greatest Cadillac. While the other salesmen couldn't believe that they just let a sales fall through their lap. Judgments, rash judgments made on the spur of the moment without truly knowing the person. He could have probably bought the entire dealership. And yet because of what they drove up to the dealership and how they were dressed, nobody would give them the time of day. Folks, what I'm telling you this morning is that making judgments of people based on outer appearances, whether it's race, whether it's perceived wealth, it has no place whatsoever in somebody's heart who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I have little hope that lost men and women in the world will get this right. get their solution. They'll come up with solutions. We may end up even in a worse place. We see that time and again in history. But folks, in the church, you and I can be salt and light. 
we can be an example to the world. We can treat people with dignity and respect because there's somebody made in the image of God just like we are. And so it needs to be our prayer in the church, God, everybody I meet in my life this week, I don't care what they look like, I don't care their nationality, I don't care their skin color, give me your heart, your eyes, your ears for that person. And again, folks, I'm not even talking about actions. Somebody who's done something wrong, we don't, we don't condone the sin. But we value that person as somebody made in the image of God. Somebody that Jesus Christ died for on the cross. And we need to treat people with that fundamental understanding. And if in the church we can get this right, we can be a strong witness to society. And maybe we will see the right attitudes develop. Pray also for what's going on in our country right now, the way God has amazing ability to bring good out of bad. Romans 8, 28. And He can do that in this case as well. But also in the church, we long for that day where He's making all things new. And we won't even have to deal with all of these headlines we're seeing today. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your heart for people. Your creation of people in your image, male and female, rich, poor, black, white, red, yellow. God, we're created in your image and have inherent worth because of that. God, help us to be fair and just with people and not be prejudiced, not prejudge, or not accept by the face, as James writes here. Lord, I think of how Jesus in Matthew 9 looked at the multitudes and he saw them like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. God, as we look at the masses, I pray that that would be our attitude. And Lord, little by little, one by one, just the way we treat people, we can make a difference. Lord, I thank you for some of the the diversity you brought into our own church here, that makes us far better. Lord, each of us, may we lay our lives before you. And Lord, may we allow you to use us as instruments in your hands as we go out into the marketplace this week as we go to our jobs, as we respond to our neighbors, that people would see something different in us. I 
pray that people would see Jesus in us. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next time. I sure am looking forward to July 12th, finally getting back to normal. Amen? God bless you. See you tonight, 5 o'clock.